0: Welcome to the Dividing Line. Uh, a couple minutes early uh, because uh, Rich says the clock on his computer is fast. I, it, it's, I, I don't know. I, I can't. It's Windows. What do you want? You know, um, my computer is right on time and stuff like that. So, but it's not. It's not Windows. Anyways, <laughs> welcome to the program. I hope if you were listening last time, you did get a chance to listen into the Kurt Jaros Doug Wilson debate. It was uh, it was interesting. Um, I have a few questions for Doug myself afterwards. Um, in in general, I was agreeing, but there are a couple uh, comments about Romans nine, Ephesians one that I want to ask him a little, to flesh out a little bit in the in the future. Maybe on a future sweater vest dialogue. It's uh, going to be cool enough to do sweater vest dialogues. I'm sure it is up in Idaho. In fact, I. Uh, uh, Marcus was saying it was snowing up there. Uh, they just moved up there, actually. So um, that would mean it would—if it's snowing, it's definitely cool enough to be wearing a sweater vest. Uh, there's no no question about that. Uh, it's not snowing here. I'm holding out for it. I I think I think it would be just awesome to finish off uh, 2020 with uh, with snow in Phoenix. I, I wouldn't that fit. I mean after. 145 days of 100 degrees or above, record temperatures, uh, average temperatures, everything. Let's have some snow for Christmas, white Christmas. That'd be great. No, it can't just be snow. It's got to be two feet of snow. Well, you know, I mean, if you're going to do it, do it 2020, right? Yeah, you know, but <laughs> the problem is, I mean, in the entire time since I've lived here, since 1974, uh, you know, coming up on uh on fifty years. Uh, once driving up to Mike Bellivo's brother's house, and I mean we're talking long time ago. I remember snowflakes in the uh beams of my headla- headlights as we were driving up in the dark to uh to Mike's brother's house for a Christmas thing. Um, no. Uh uh-uh. uh. I, I don't remember anything sticking, so... So you say. So you say. He started the program 45 seconds early and expects me to believe what he remembers about 1990. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll, I, it was an interesting debate. It was a good discussion. Um, no yelling, screaming, talking over each other, uh, any of that kind of stuff. It was... Um, it was a worthwhile discussion, and so I hope you uh, caught that. I don't know if any of you are catching – I'll be brief with uh, this – but any of you are catching some of the stories that are coming out of the United Kingdom. Evidently, the UK is trying to uh, uh, keep up with Australia with its uh, – we will break down your door. The cops will break down your door um, uh, to steal Christmas. Um just astonishing when when you realize um, that for children and anybody under the age of 50, um, viral strains like H1N1 are significantly more dangerous as far as their long-term effect is concerned and morbidity and everything else. But, hey, it's COVID-19. And so, and now, have have you noticed the constant changing of the goals you know at first it was flat the curve we were we well so far no one remembers what the curve was about anymore it was all about uh, you know not overwhelming uh, emergency rooms well n- well didn't do that uh, killed a lot of hospitals by keeping them from doing anything else but uh, anyway uh, that was purposeful too and then it it kept changing so now it's just cases and now now they're using these this this testing that is highly questionable and it's not even cases with symptoms it's not cases with hospitalization it's not cases with fatality it's just simply a case as long as an as as long as after you've run 33 to 40 repetitions magnifying stuff there might be evidence that maybe possibly this person has a virus in them someplace, but it may not be impacting them at all. But you throw it in the numbers and you shut down entire nations and you shut down churches and sporting facilities and and universities and you just crush everything because the Great Reset. That's all it's about. It has nothing to do with saving lives. If you haven't seen that, it, the greatest Christmas present I can give to you is to let you know that um, this is all... This is all one big, huge, massive uh, political maneuver, and it's working because we told them it would work. We we let them we let them do it. We, we, we handed it to them. We said, "You know what? Uh, safety is the most important thing to us." Well, okay, no, no, not real safety. The promise of safety it can be completely empty. It can mean nothing. We can have all the evidence in the world right in front of our eyes that it's that your promises of safety are empty. Uh, but we'll still take that and we will give everything. We will give our jobs. We'll give our savings. We'll give our businesses. We'll give our liberties, or freedoms. So that, like we had in the last program, I, pay, I played for you the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum stuff about, uh, hey, by 2030, you won't own anything. You won't own a house. You won't own a car. Um, and your diet will have changed um, because that's what's good for the, for the world, you see. It's good for – that's, that's what's best for everybody it's it's for your safety and uh, so uh, I've certainly noticed a diminishing range of options when it comes to restaurants that are still open and food and things like that uh, various things going out of you know no longer being made that's just going to continue and continue and continue we, we've sold our soul we, we did it voluntarily because we were afraid we panicked there you go. So the the cops are breaking into uh, breaking into churches in the UK. Um now the funny thing <laughs> there is one uh where was that? Was that in was it in Wales or might have been in Wales. I think it was in Wales, where the cops break into this church service and they come to the door and they say, We've heard there's a rave going on here. And they're like, um, well, no, there's no rave going can we see and when they walk in, it's church service and you and the cops are like, "Oh, great, <laughs> this is this isn't, but you still can't do this you know and so so at least there was still some you know the cops are like, "Oh man, but hey, rules are rules. well, rules are rules, but rules have to have a meaningful basis in logic, reality, truth, and this stuff doesn't it's Pure panic. It's just all emotion, all emotion, no facts. Well, just enough facts that panic can just do do whatever it does with facts and put them all together and upside down, inside out, and everything else. Um, but yeah, they're they are literally, you know, telling people we will send the cops to uh, break up your your Christmas uh, stuff. And the thing now that's just stunning me, um, and this should tell you what's what's coming is wearing masks in your house now we know masks are an empty um uh, they, they don't protect you from anything you're not protecting anybody else somebody else isn't protecting you it's it's a lie ninety seven percent penetration and all that stuff um it, there there it is but uh so you've got this lie and when they when they first we're talking about, they they said, well, only when you're in public spaces and you can't be six feet away from somebody, but certainly not in your house, not in your car. Now it's everywhere. Now it's between bites. Now it's between bites. They're literally saying in California and other places that between bites in your own stinking house at Christmas, you put your mask back on. And any meaningful virologist who has who hasn't been completely paid off is sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. This is so stupid. They know this is all politics. They know it. They see it. We are being conditioned to give up everything to the global technocracy. He's, that sounds crazy. You all thought I was crazy back in March when I said that the left-leaning states, the leftist-controlled states, would extend lockdowns as close to the um, the uh, elections as possible for political reasons. Ah, oh, you're crazy. No, I wasn't. And you thought I was crazy a few weeks later and I said, "Uh, you know what? We're not going to be traveling without our papers in the future, without medical passports, evidences of tests and vaccinations and all the rest. Oh, you, White has lost it. Oh, I couldn't believe how many former friends about, oh, he's completely lost it. And now Cuomo and de Blasio, they're pushing the federal government to do what? Exactly that. Exactly it didn't take Nostradamus to see this coming. It just took enough common sense to recognize that we no longer have a functioning media uh, in uh, a press in, in the United States. They, they are advocates for one side and um, to recognize how far the left will go. They want to destroy the Constitution of the United States. And next Tuesday, they might succeed. They might succeed. I'm seeing some positive signs. Uh, but they might succeed. So, uh, you know, they need to get rid of that constitution. And once you have Harris in the White House, um, they will. All you got to do is pack the court. All you got to do is uh, change the rules in the Senate, and one-party rule. Da da! No more worrying about the about uh, um, you know. First Amendment, Second Amendment, all that stuff, all those guarantees, gone. Just just worth no more than the paper they're written on any longer. And they need to do that with the United States, the largest economy, uh, to continue to turn everybody into the ward of the state so that you don't own a car and you don't own own a, a house and you live in a little flat and you travel only as far as the government allows you and when the government allows you and you eat what the government tells you you can eat. But you have your safety, and you traded it. You gave it to them. You said, this is what we want. So every every one of you driving down the road in your car alone in a mask, it, you you told them, we're up for it. We'll give you anything you want. Here it is. Just, just give me a promise of safety. It can be completely empty. It can be completely worthless. But I've got my promise of safety. I'm good. Land of the free, home of the brave. Anyway, uh, so... I voted yesterday. Uh, I had never voted early before. And, of course, uh, the way things are set up now, why not? I mean, why in the world would I want to stand in a socially distanced line forever uh, next Tuesday? I mean, I would rather vote next Tuesday the way that you're supposed to vote. Uh, And how I have voted since I just missed the general election in 1980. I was 17 years, 11 and a half months uh, old i just just missed it uh, well seventeen eleven um, so i i, I didn 't get to vote for uh, Reagan in in eighty but i was I was just that close and uh so every every time that i voted, voted um, since then i've voted in all the presidential elections and most of the midterm ones as well there there were a couple of times I was out of town and and uh, we didn 't start doing the absentee stuff till not very long ago, uh, well, okay, I mean like twenty years ago, and so i um I voted to continue the experiment called the Constitution of the united states that that was what I voted for. That's how clear this election is that that that's that's what this election was to me. it is simply a matter of it's a stark stark reality that our nation is in the midst of a revolution it is no longer the situation that we had only a matter of years ago where you had similar goals but different ways of getting there and at that point you could, you could have patriots on both sides of the issue. Right now we have a large portion of the populace that wants to destroy the Constitution, of the United States, and form of government that has given us the liberties and freedoms and greatness that we've had, and to drag us into a global global technocracy. That again, it, you may be saying, that's just crazy. No, it's happening. How do you explain what's going on? How do you explain our cities burning? How do you explain the videos of, you know, uh, a couple days ago, a black man. Uh, my understanding is the police have been there. three. This is the third time that, that day the police have been to the same place in a city. Democrat controlled, leftist controlled, uh, that has a 44 percent increase in murders just this year. Violent crimes everywhere. It's trying, it's trying to compete with Chicago for killing black people by black people. Not by cops, by black people. Black-on-black violence everywhere. And the cops show up, and this guy comes after them with a knife. Now, there are a lot of really, 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 really naive people in the world who do not understand that at close quarters, a knife is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than a gun. Um... I don't know if any of you ever seen the video of that guy in... It was in some Indonesian-type nation who had a long knife. It wasn't quite a sword, but it was a good 12 inches. And cops were trying to catch him. And he he took out an easy four cops before they took him out. They had guns. He had a knife. He killed four of them before they killed him. Um... You don't seem to understand that, you know, maybe you've never watched the videos where a guy jumps out of his car and the, the cop's on one side of the car and, and the bad guy's on the other side of the car, and they both empty their clips at each other and hit nothing. I total the car and a few cars driving by. And, but they, you don't seem to understand that when the adrenaline is flowing... It's not nearly as easy to aim that gun. That's what was so amazing about the guy in the church in Texas. From across the... That was... Wow. Talk about cool, calm, and collected. One shot to the head from that distance. Whoa, That was amazing. Totally amazing. That, But that's the exception. That's the 1%, not the 99%. And so a black guy with a knife comes after cops. And everybody's going... They should have tased him. Have you ever... Have you ever watched how many times tasers are employed and do absolutely positively nothing? How many people... How, how are we ever even going to have cops in the future? If we are literally telling cops that if they're, that, that, that they have to sacrifice themselves. If some guy comes at you with a knife... Uh, you're just supposed to let him slice you and dice you so you don't start rioting. What, why would we have cops anymore? Why would any cop even go to a call anymore? A lot of them aren't. And I don't blame them. And people suffer as a result. And then the cops get blamed for that too. But the video that I saw, it's a guy coming straight at cops with a big old knife and they shot him. And the result? Oh. It's time to go get a big screen TV at Walmart, huh? And a washing machine. Yeah, why? Not? Well, that's probably a dryer. Because a washing machine, a, a, a dryer. That. Yeah, but that 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 didn't that looked really light. That looked really light. That that the, the washing machines have got some oomph to them. I don't know how he got it, but the point is the point is that a bunch of thugs. Decided to go on shopping sprees, and many of those stores will never reopen again. I don't blame them. That's going to hurt the people around them. They don't care, and their excuse: this is justice. No, it's not justice. It's called theft. Uh, it's called being a thief. Has nothing to do with justice. And you can sit there all day long and talk about your ancestors. Yes, you're still a thief. That's all there is to it. It's not yours. God's law says so. I mean, if you're sitting there as a Christian, you go. Oh, well, I don't understand. No, you don't. Don't give me that. Don't give me that. There is nothing in God's law that says, well, you know, I'm so upset about what happened to my ancestors 160 years ago that I'm going to go steal people's property. Doesn't allow for that. It's not there. Sorry. So, anyway, I I voted uh, to try to put the brakes for a little while for just a very brief little while on the insane pedal to the metal drive into global technocratic socialism and totalitarianism and um, had nothing to do. I mean, obviously, (laughs) uh, it's plain to me that Joe Biden is a woefully uh, compromised candidate, not because of his, uh, not because of Because he is non mentis, He doesn't know what state he's in. He doesn't know what office he's running for. He doesn't know what day of the week it is. He is is in not even so much any longer the early stages of dementia. The man has dementia. It's clear. Everybody can see it. Everybody can see it. 20 years from now, people will look back and go, oh my goodness. But, there's now clear evidence that he's been making a lot of money off the Chinese communists. (laughs) They own him. So, so, hey, that fits with, with the global stuff. That fits in real well, doesn't it? Uh, that, that's who you want with the nuclear codes. Yeah, uh, the guy was making millions from the Chai That's That's great. Uh, that would be extremely relevant. But this and, and Kamala Harris, woo, oh, uh, uh, all that's really relevant. But this was, this was real simple for me. It's uh, do we, well, I've said before, do we get to vote again in 2024 or not? That's what it was all about. You vote one way in 2020, and you will not be voting again in 2024. Oh, you may be voting, just like they vote in Russia. <laughs> you, you get to vote for Vladimir Putin uh, every few years, but that's the only person you get to vote for. And if you dare even think about voting for somebody else, then you get radiometric poisoning. <laughs> you know, you know there's, there's nobody else running. It's one party rule. It's like California and and we will, we will become california so i voted for us to not become california that and there's only one way to do that only one way to do that it's just that simple i do, i do not see how it's a complicated issue and you you can sit there and try to complicate it all you want but it just seems to me that when you see a political system that uh is that those who survived communism 50 years ago and are still alive are going ah that's what happened to us okay you're, you're going down the same road again people never thought this could happen well it is and I have a moral obligation to my grandchildren to seek to keep them from experiencing communism so that's how I voted uh, all the way down the line. And thankfully, uh, I asked my fellow elders, uh, hey, guys, do you have anything on the judges? Because the, the judges thing is always so, who knows? And lo and behold, Luke sent me back a whole thing. Uh, someone had done the research from a conservative perspective in regards to their decisions and how they've handled stuff. the whole nine yards. So I went in there and actually voted all the judges for the first. I've skipped them because I, I don't know. Yeah, well, no, there there are some that are good, you know. So I just uh, I went in and and voted all that, and of course, I voted against anything that would raise my taxes. <laughs> Especially uh to further expand the public indoctrination centers called schools. Um yeah, no. Uh my any 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 small amount of money I'm going to have left over which I'm not going to after this year, how much um, is going to go to uh, help homeschoolers, not, uh, not, the, not that. Now, let me mention something. I have a, um, I have a clip here. Well, I'm not sure I'm going to do it that way. Um, I was listening to, I remember about a week and a half or so ago, I reviewed some comments from Jamar Tisby. Where it was clearly at the end of a sermon and I made the comment, now, you know, maybe he established a foundation for saying some of this stuff before in the sermon, but I just don't even see what it would be. So I did take the time to track that sermon down and listen to it. Now, it was very short. It was more of a chapel service. Thing. It was only 30 minutes long. Um, he did not establish the claims that he was making, but he did during that sermon talk about what happened four years ago. And you may recall four years ago, uh, shortly after Donald Trump was elected, he said, I do not feel comfortable uh, worshiping with white people, remember? And he explained what he meant by that in this sermon that I listened to. And basically what he was saying was, I was just so hurt that so many of my white brothers and sisters could vote for someone like that. And hence, show disrespect for me. And I'd like to address that uh, because I think it's going to be worse this time. I think there are a lot of people who are like me. I did not vote for Donald Trump last time. I couldn't. I I just I could not bring myself to to do it, and he still won. And am I happy about some of the things he's done? Yeah, sure. I. I think um, so far, uh, and of course, we have no nothing to go on with Amy Coney Barrett, but she seems like a brilliant, brilliant woman. Um, boy, did you see that Girl Scout thing? You didn't see it? No, I did. Oh, yeah. The Girl, the girl Scouts tweeted a congratulations to Amy Coney Barrett for being the fifth woman. Placed upon the Supreme Court of the United States, and then they pulled it because the left went unhinged. See, it doesn't matter; if she's a woman. That woman. That's right. It's it's the 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 hypocrisy of the left is a. It's not, it's not that there aren't hypocrites on the right, but but it is part of the DNA of the left. Uh, the hypocrisy, and of course, they collapsed. They gave in um, and and pulled it, and yeah, you know. But um, so we don't have anything to go on. But so far, it it seems like like Trump's uh, appointments to the Supreme Court uh, have been pretty good. It actually ended up being better than Bush, better than um, either Bush, better than even Reagan Um, in some instances. um, You never know where judges are going to go and all that could change. Roberts has certainly changed. He ain't no conservative anymore. And might get more and more liberal as time goes by. I think. I think only now is there a semi-reliable five-four uh, on on the court right now. Uh, so is is that good? Yeah. Am, am I appreciative of the uh, statements that have been made in regards to uh, abortion and things like that? Yeah. Am I can really concerned that he really doesn 't have any problem with homosexuality don 't yeah definitely there does not seem to be any real positive stuff there, but you know stuff he said about critical race theory, does that really even come from him i don 't know i don 't know um, so but again i I think for most people like me who in two thousand and sixteen said i, I just can 't looked at this situation and back then. In 2016, it was more about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. This time, like I said, the Democrat primary candidate is not even there. I mean, how, how can you, you can't engage a man who doesn't know what day it is. You can't engage an old doddering man who is should not be running for public office at all. So it's Kamala Harris, but it's just the nameless, faceless, leftist Marxists, the AOCs who want to burn down the Constitution. That's what this is about. And I think that there's a lot of people, uh, Al Mohler has said, without being quite as blunt as I am, Al Mohler has said the same thing, couldn't do it in 2016, I, I will in 2020, and I did. But it wasn't about the man. Uh, It wasn't about him. It wasn't about Pence. It wasn't about uh, anybody with a name. It was all about, I want to be able to vote again in 2024. I want to have the next four years to try to, with much more energy, make the case to as many people as who will listen um, that socialism and the left – Um, is a one-way ticket into hundreds of millions of dead bodies and not just babies. Unborn and born, dead bodies, lay down the path these people want to take us on. They're lying to you and from a biblical perspective, since they don't believe that man is made in the image of God and is therefore in rebellion against God, they will not be able to provide any meaningful foundation for human freedom and flourishing. Um, socialism is a failed experiment. It has failed every time it's been tried. And so I think I am with many other people. So with that, in light of what Jamar Tisby said, um, how, do I, how do I even interact with a Jamar Tisby who says that he is hurt that someone that someone who claims to be a Christian like he's a Christian would vote for the constitution of the United States well my my response is this isn't about you i'm sorry you you seem to think that it needs to be about you but it's not about you um my My first responsibility is to what I understand in regards to major, major issues of, of religious liberty and freedom and life. I mean, I don't want to get into Bonhoeffer and Hitler, but there are parallels there. and Bonhoeffer's dialogue and discussion about what do you do in the face of overwhelming evil? And communism, Marxism, is overwhelming evil. It, we, have, we have 120 million-plus pieces of evidence, dead, born bodies, that tell us about the evil of Marxism. And so, I can't go there, and it has nothing to do with you. It, it, it has, to, to say that you are offended... Because I would vote to be able to vote again. And I would vote against those who have bought into Marxist organizations like Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry, black lives, ma- black lives do not matter to Black Lives Matter. If they were, they'd be patrolling the streets in Chicago. They don't. They don't do anything for black people. They exist to destroy this nation. That's the only reason they're there. And so, if, if someone's going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, see, you're, you're just a white supremacist. I just want to go, if wanting to continue to possess the freedom to preach the gospel is white supremacy, then you need to come up with a different phrase. Because God made us longing for that kind of freedom. Has nothing to do with the skin color. Has nothing to do with, has nothing to do with the past. Simple reality. If you want to have that freedom, you've got to fight for it. That's all there is to it. And so I would simply say to someone who's, who is going – there, there is a danger that you would literally put your own emotions and feelings above the priority of saving millions of human lives. That's, a, that's an astonishing thing. And I, I have a clip here. Um, the, ran across this. The, the woke, woke preacher TV on Twitter. Woke preacher clips. That's right. Woke preacher clips. On uh, Twitter. Don't know how long he's going to be around either. Um, started evidently watching videos from... Uh, the Just Gospel Conference in 2019, and uh, the the camera angle was such that all you can see is the word "Just" on the podium, and so I had to do a little looking around, and it's pretty obvious that the the, the clips that are being posted from J.D. Greer are from the same thing, and doing some listening and poking around, this is a just gospel conference at the BD on Wheatley's Church, or at least that they put it on. And Christina Edmondson spoke and JD Greer spoke. And I was listening to Dr. Edmondson's presentation. And I ran across this part. I just wanna I just want to play uh, part of this So you have a a sense of where the disconnection is is happening.
1: And you lead others astray. And I want to do another little rabbit trail that black dignity is not the same as white supremacy. I am tired of really problematic ways of trying to build unity that discredit and deny history and reality. Just because we are all, and this is very true, called to forgive and to love and to abide with each other does not mean that we have to pretend that we have a black supremacy problem in America. We're we not going we to pretend that's what's happening. Black dignity says that black folks are actually human. White supremacy says that white folks are mini-gods and have the power and authority to dominate. See, that's not the same, y'all. We're not going to play like it is.
0: Okay, now, no matter how hard you try, and I try, I, I, I listen to that, and, and, I, I, and I go, okay, I'm, I'm lost. Uh... Black dignity says that we are humans. Okay, I, I have never met anyone who denied that. Um, if I if I ever do, I'm tempted to spit at them. Okay. Um. But what is white dignity? It, are 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 you allowed to to strive for white dignity? as people are striving for black dignity or does this also work for Asian dignity, Hispanic dignity? Um, Is there such a thing as um, Aboriginal dignity? Uh, You know, we can talk about some of the South sea islands, peoples very, very, very separated from one another. Uh, Can we come up with that name? Plus dignity? Are, are we allowed to do that? And I, I just heard there's no such thing as black supremacy. So there's white supremacy, but there's not black supremacy. How can that be if, if white supremacy is a sinful inclination of the human heart? How can there not be black supremacy? Or is the black heart immune to certain sinful impulses and activities that white people evidently are guilty of from birth. At least that's what we're told. Um, defining white supremacy is the, little gods. Wow, I, I had never heard that one before. Little gods. Huh. Right, it seems to be behind this privilege thing because you, you have it, though you don't know you have it, but you're sovereign enough to lay it aside and this somehow is supposed to help somebody. Or something. Or it's almost like if you can lay it aside and give it to somebody else, then it's it's sort of like it's some type of a substance that can be shared with people. And if you give enough of it to somebody who's black, don't they start suffering from black supremacy? Because it's just a substance. i had never heard this definition. And, of course, placing it in contrast with black dignity versus white supremacy. And then we had kyle james howard a couple days ago talking blaming white supremacy for pressure upon young black boys to engage in sex early on in life that's whites somehow are responsible for that too and you're just left going okay i I get this if these people did not claim to be christians but they do and so why isn't the much more obvious explanation for all this there because it's painfully obvious we've played people Within the past six months, I've played black people talking about how more melanin makes you superhuman. It, it makes you a better person. You're, you're stronger. You have more kids. You're more virile. Um, uh, you're more intelligent. You're more able to be compassionate. Uh, you're, you're just superhumans. I've played that. And it's like, no, 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 doesn't exist. It's a, but they're saying it. Nope, doesn't exist. Um, when you tell an ethnic group you are immune to these sins, that's the best way in the world to make sure that those sins will flourish amongst those people. Isn't it? That's what makes this racism of the left so bad. And I call it racism in the old sense. Where you actually ignore the idea of not judging by the color of the skin but the content of the character uh, when you when you make when you put all that stuff aside and you ignore the biblical teaching that there's one race and we're all sinners and we all have the same need and once we're once we're in the fellowship of the of the Saints it's all on the same basis uh, once you get rid of that you got a real problem you got a real problem and so you'll notice all of the uh, postings, the J.D. Greer sermon, have the same background. So it's the same conference. It was it was obviously 2019. And Greer is doing his impersonation. And it's just amazing to me. He is the head. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he has been given an extra year. So he will have been president of the Southern Baptist Convention for three years. And this is just like with the Pope. Um, when you give someone that kind of authority for that kind of time they are assigning people to important positions that they will hold for longer than their presidency and so you know that the Southern Maps Convention for three years now at its leadership levels has had woke people being assigned to positions of great authority who are then assigning lower people and, lower, and you wonder why the convention is in the mess that it's in and may not be able to be rescued Um, got that third year out of COVID panic. Hmm. Amazing how that keeps coming up and having an impact on things, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. So, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, so much to be said, so much to be said, but, um, we will move on to, uh, a couple other things. I wanted to say something about this. I, I've said something briefly. We're going to finish up the program going back to the issue of reconciliation. So if you want to get your, wanna get your uh, Bibles out, um, that's, that's going to be useful. I did just come into the office and uh, see that my order of Jesus and the manuscripts came in, what we can learn from the oldest text, Craig Evans, some neat uh, images in the back. Uh, funny that everyone picks the same section of Vaticanus to display. I'm not sure why that is. Um, but, uh, numerous, uh, and uh, same thing with P75. I, I, don't know why it's that way, but, um, anyway, uh, SP90. Okay. All right. Yeah. Some neat pictures in the back and, uh, looking forward to working through that, Um uh, Just so you know that's out, those of you that are interested in that particular thing. I've said a couple times, this is going to be a strange holiday season, and I'm not talking about just trying to hide out from those of you in California, New York, UK, Australia. I mean, right now, I cannot possibly imagine in my state, um, no matter how many people showed up at my house for Thanksgiving or Christmas, I just don't see that happening here at all. Not yet. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed with Ducey and a lot of things, but he's not Cuomo. (laughs) He's, he's not these types of people. So we're probably not going to have that kind of issue, but this is going to be a completely different holiday season. Isn't it? I mean, last year, the economy's roaring along. Most of us are doing a whole lot better than we're doing now unless you happen to own a Target store or Walmart or Amazon. They're all making they, – they're all making record profits, record profits. The mom and pop stores, they're all dead. Um, half the restaurants, dead. So choice, freedom to do things differently, pfft, who cares about that? The big, the big stores are still pumping along. And for most of us, hey, as long as we can get our toilet paper and our favorite food, we don't really care. We don't see that once they have complete control, then they control us, not us controlling them. Because we, we got no place to go. Once that's the only, only place to go, that's it. Now they, now they have Monopoly, and they get to tell you what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and when you're going to do it in the Hawaiian yards. You'll see... Those of you that are just going along with the flow, you'll you'll see eventually. Anyway, I'm hoping we're going to have some time to try to convince you of that, and maybe get you involved in uh, putting the brakes on this and and going the other direction, and convincing people that liberty and freedom is actually a good thing. That's how humans flourish, and that God made us that way. And uh, if we would uh, submit to His ways, we will flourish. If we submit to man's ways, we we will not. And that's all there is to it. Um, but Back to Thanksgiving and and Christmas. There are some of you who do not celebrate either holiday, only a few, and many who do not celebrate the Christmas season. I'm not going to get into an argument. I I would not mind debating someone on that someday because I think there's not only really fascinatingly good evidence for the December 25th, January 6th season. That's the 12 days of Christmas. um, As having... It, there's no question that it has ancient, ancient roots in the church. There's no question that the idea that that was from Mithraism or anything else is stupid. There's no question that, that that's um, uh, the stuff about the soul invictus and because the pagans were giving gifts and the Christians, Christians could give gifts too and nobody'd catch them. Baloney. Baloney. The earliest references to those dates come from Christian sources themselves. And it was the very time when paganism was declining, Christianity is on the ascent. Uh, there would be no reason for them to be borrowing from stuff like that and doing that kind of thing. It's, just to make, just, it just, it's a narrative that is so old, it just falls apart upon really pushing on it, but no one ever pushes on it. Because you just hear it repeated over and over again. Oh, okay, well, I guess that's how it... And you hear it from Christians all the time. Maybe well-meaning, but they just didn't know what they were talking about. Anyway, maybe this season I'll go back over like I did, man, I don't know how many years ago it was now. I went over um, Roger Beckwith's uh, article on the, uh, the order of the priests and what we can learn from when Zechariah would have been ministering in the temple as to the time frame. Um, as to when Jesus, John's birth would be in Jesus's birth, we know, you know they're related, obviously, to one another. Uh, a lot of people found that fascinating. It's complicated stuff. It's not the easiest stuff to try to try to discuss, but there is there is a good reason for this time of the year, and there is a uh, good reason for the dates that have come, and there's a good reason for rejecting the the standard narrative of pagan borrowing, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, but, so so if, if you're not, if, if, if you have, if you were converted out of one of the ancient Roman cults, <laughs> all four of you, um, if you're converted out of one of the ancient Roman cults and therefore have a conscience issue, uh, great, you can st- step aside for just a moment. I'll get to the text of scripture here with something else in a moment. But for the rest of us who find it perfectly appropriate to sit in awe of one of the most amazing, uh, really seems to be the most amazing claim of the Christian faith. And that is the God who holds together this massive universe entered into his own universe. That's stunning. O- outside of a work of the Spirit of God, pff, there, there's no way. Especially today, now that we know. I mean, in the ancient world, you could make the argument, in the ancient world, people thought that the world was it. And that generally it was pretty pretty small. We now know that our solar system is a speck. A dot. We, we send, we're doing really cool stuff right now, sending probes off to Mars and Jupiter and Saturn, and we've, we've actually sent two probes outside the solar system now. We launched them back in the 70s. And let me tell you something. We're making, <laughs> what do you think about, it? I, I had a 1972 Buick LeSabre. Remember that thing? The brown bomb. Rich remembers it. I had a 1972 Buick LeSabre. And the highest tech on that, other than the AM, FM radio, was the, the air conditioning slider had a little green light on <laughs> I thought that was so cool. It was so almost Star Trek-ish. You know, there's a little green light down here. That We've actually made that level of tech continue to work for 40 years now since we launched those babies. Um, And they're still working. They're still beaming data back to us after leaving the solar system. But that's as far as we've gone. And our solar system is a speck, a tiny little spot in a massive galaxy that is one of 100 billion galaxies. And so it's fully understandable once you begin to comprehend the size of this creation that when we tell people that the creator, the maker of all of this entered into his own creation to give his life for us and that that's going to glorify him The world says that's foolishness. Paul was right. The world says that was foolishness, and I get it. I, I, I get it. So, when we consider what we are really celebrating, it is an astonishing thing, and it goes so beyond santa claus and reindeer and all the rest that kind of stuff it's 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 not even funny i get that i hope you understand that too but when we approached it this year and i'm yes i'm adjusting the uh doesn't seem like the fan kicked on so it's getting a little bit warmer in here um this year i'm thinking we might have a little more focus I mean, I've always tried in my family, and my family will tell you that I've tried, to to bring a focus, a theological focus, a real consideration. My favorite family devotion is to look at Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy that comes hundreds of years before Jesus. and. And, and, and it, the depth of that prophecy, a, a, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the differentiation, the language. and it, I, I've done that for decades. Really have. They'll tell you I have. So much so that they could all do it themselves, I think. But I don't—most of us are now in a situation where we, we cannot do for Christmas— as far as gift-giving, traveling, stuff that, you know, I did last year. And I, I, I had these uh, buttons made up at church last year. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that this year. Um, my, my income's been cut in half uh, since last year. So grandma and grandpa aren't going to be able to do nearly as much as we did for the grandkids. And a lot of us are in the same, same situation. You know, I, 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 I certainly ain't at my age uh, ex- expect anything unless someone stumbles across my Amazon gift list <laughs> who happens to be making a lot of money off of investment in Walmart or something like that. Uh, I, I might get some socks uh, uh, th- this year. I, I don't know. Uh, so that kind of thing can't get in the way, but hopefully. We have really learned a lot about how important family is, and maybe all that getting all that stuff out of the way might help us to really spend some time thinking about incarnation and what it means. Incarnation, what it means. So my suggestion, since it's coming fast, we're almost done with October. Got uh, got Reformation Sunday coming up. I'm sorry if I disappointed you and didn't do Reformation stories. Um, Maybe we will next week. Just throw a couple in for the fun of it. Um, But it takes time to do quality Advent incarnation stuff. It's sort of hard to do the night before. So uh, dads, if you're taking seriously your, your role to give some guidance there, now it's time to be getting at it. Well, actually, a little bit past time, but still time to... Because I think the two of them, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, just go together so perfectly. Um, because ultimately, the ultimate reason for Thanksgiving is found in the giving of God in Christmas. In the, in, in the incarnation, in the Advent. And uh, just in passing, and I'll, I'll stop this number of years ago t- uh, 10 years ago. Sort of got all messed up because my mom passed away. <laughs> but I, had a, I, had a, well, I think is still a good idea. Um, we tried to do something to where uh, we actually did the 12 days of Christmas. Because I, I think one of, the, one of the things that's bad about the American way of doing things is you have a single day and you blow everything on that one day and then the next day, you've got the post-holiday blues. And you really don't have time in that one day. There's so much to be done to actually do much in the way of reflection. And so 10 years ago, it's 2010, we tried it. I suggested it to my family. Um, we tried to do something for the 12 days because that's how they used to do it. Between December 25th and January 6th, the Eastern Orthodox, their Christmas is January 6th. And I'll be honest with you, they've got a pretty good argument, uh, historically. There's a good argument for the January 6th date. Um, but, I mean, there's no argument that's absolutely, you know, here's a, we found a papyrus that says, boom, you know, uh, this is this is the date. Um, but the two dates together have really good historical foundation to them. And... I'm trying to think about how to try to do that and make it special, especially with the grandkids, without it being attached to stuff, to trinkets, uh, that kind of thing. So let's all think about it together. Let's, let's, make, it a, let's make it an important time, um, no matter what happens next week. Well, let's be honest, um, we are not going to have final word. On uh, on this election uh, until probably around Thanksgiving, because I mean they they're just giving the Supreme Court keeps giving more and more time for people just to keep counting ballots and counting ballots and counting ballots. And um, so what? Well, Well, that's just it. I forget when it meets, but they they've got to get this done by a certain point in time. Yeah, I think it's early December. Yeah, they've they've got to get it done. That's uh, the problem with um uh, this type of messing around with the uh, with the elections all right get your bible out get your bible out i uh, I know that we've gone for an hour so i'll I'll try to limit this to a half hour uh, and uh we'll go from there uh I hate it when the uh image that comes up uh on Twitter is moving because it's right over there, so like a video type thing like a gif or something like that. Because it's, all, it's you, you're always seeing something <laughs> to the left, so I just scrolled it up to one that doesn't have anything you know, moving in it. That's good. Okay, real quick reminder, what we started in the last program is I started talking a little bit about a debate that took place last week between Matt Slick of CARM.org and Sam Shamoon. And it was ostensibly on is limited atonement biblical? Uh, the problem was... It, it was not defined sufficiently clearly by anybody for that particular subject to actually end up being, um, decided in any way. Um, I don't, and I, I said last time, particular redemption is flows from unconditional election, which flows from, uh, total depravity, which flows from the absolute freedom of God flows into, um, Irresistible grace, the power, powerful working of the spirit of God to bring God's people into himself. And then finally, the preservation of the saints, perseverance of the saints um, to the honor and glory of God. So they're all related to one another and trying to deal with one isolated from the others normally doesn't work unless you start at the beginning. So you could do a debate. Is God absolutely sovereign? That's why the Douglas Wilson thing was so important. Um, and you can define your terms and you start there. Uh, that's that's really where it's it's got to begin. That wasn't in this debate, and therefore it's not overly surprising that it bogged down into people talking over each other and going back over the same thing uh, over and over again because the one side won't hear what the other side's saying because there are presuppositional things that have not been addressed and so that's that happens a lot on the internet. Nothing to be ex- to uh, surprised about, but the thing that did come out and and Obviously, from my perspective, the strongest arguments for particular redemption are related to Jesus' role as the high priest, uh, the fulfillment of that role, uh, all that in in Hebrews and the plain statements of the book of Hebrews as as to the perfecting work of the atoning work of Christ and its once-for-allness and all of that, you know, Jesus' ability to save. and, And that forces the other side to come clean that they really struggle with this idea of Jesus being able to save Uh, because if Jesus is able to save in of himself, then it's not a synergistic cooperation of man and God. And that's what they have to push, whether it's through a complicated sacramental system or through a um, autonomous free will argument, whatever it might be. So um, all of that said, and I, again, last time said I appreciate Matt's presentation and all the rest of that kind of thing. The, the big thing came out of it where people were going, Sam Shimoon just said that, that, that Satan was reconciled, that, that the atonement is applied to Satan. And he did. Uh, he didn't want to say it quite as clearly as he should have, but he did, eventually. Again, I stopped listening at an hour 45 uh, because that was when they got into audience questions. So I, I listened to the presentations, cross-examination, closing statements. And once I got into the uh, audience questions, stuff like that, it just kept becoming completely repetitive, talking over each other. It just wasn't worth listening to. Um, so maybe something happened later on, and I, I leave that possibility open. I didn't have anybody, did I have anybody writing in saying, oh, yeah, I didn't think so. So I understand... And I presented last time what Sam's argument was. Sam's argument has been for a couple of years now that Colossians chapter 1 talks about Jesus as the creator of all things. And then says in Colossians 1.20, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace with the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. And hence, that's the same tapanta, uh, not not pas. Uh, but Tapanta, there is a difference between the two, uh, both in Greek, Greek grammar as well as Greek philosophical utilization. Um, and therefore, since it says, having made peace with the blood of his cross, then the idea must be that if this has been done for all of creation through the cross, then the reconciliation that is effected to the cross which is identified as being the same as the soteriological atoning act of Christ that brings a person into saving relationship through Christ with the Father, um, has been made for all of creation. It is a hypothetical thing. It is a, it's been provided but not applied. So, redemption accomplished, hypothetically, but not yet applied. And that phraseology of accomplished and applied came up in the debate a number of times. It's phraseology you might be familiar with. Again, I forgot to grab it. Uh, but uh, John Murray's fine book, Redemption, Accomplished, and Applied, I've used it as a textbook and when I was teaching systematic theology, oh, goodness, a um, quarter of a century ago. Um, and I highly recommend it. It is a study of the Ordo Salutis, The order of salvation, but again, the tendency on the part of everybody is to think that an order of salvation, rather than being a logical order, is a temporal order, that it's primarily something you can trace through time, when in reality, it's uh, much more focused upon what the logical relationship of the things that God does in salvation, what those things are. But the problem being that, and and what Murray would object to if uh, Sam were to bring him into the conversation, in light of the title of his book, um, is that the accomplishment on the part of the Father and the Son um, is a certain accomplishment, it's a personal accomplishment. There is a specific people who have been united to Christ in his death. And that means that there will be an infallible application at the time that God determines to bring about in any of the elect's lives uh, their uh, resurrection to spiritual life, faith, repentance, their understanding who Christ is, all these other things. It is inevitable because it is decreed. And, of course, this is just simply the re- recognition of the now and the not yet, the the fact that, that there is a... A appropriate and proper sense in the eternal realm of God's activity to elect a particular people and to join them to Jesus Christ, so that His death is not just anticipatory, but is actually participatory. Whereas there needs to be an application of that in time, because we're going to come along at a different time. We, I didn't exist when that happened. Some uh, my. Fellow Pastor Luke uh, says that I know so much about church history because I lived through most of it. <laughs> it's great being the eldest elder. Uh, the younger elders like to make fun of the eldest elder. And I I just have the wonderful reality that with each passing day, he's getting older too. <laughs> and so it's, it's going to not take very long before he's going, I remember Calvin. Yeah. Anyway, so... Oh, yeah. It's going to come for you, too. Um, so, in discussing this, sorry for all the background discussion. In discussing this, we started looking at Colossians chapter 1. And one of the things that we brought up that I think is very, very important is the fact that Colossians and Ephesians are uh, prison epistles. They are uh, epistles that are written contemporaneously and written to a, the same general area in Asia Minor. Colossae, uh, being a smaller city uh, upriver from Ephesus, uh, a a city that uh, its church was not founded by Paul himself, but probably through the natural um, efforts of the church in Ephesus, where Paul had spent so much time uh, to plant such a strong uh, church there in, in Ephesus. And hence, When you put Colossians and Ephesians side by side, you see that there are extremely important parallel passages where the exact same language is being used, the exact same concepts are being presented, but unlike synoptic studies where you're looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, where sometimes very, very similar language is being used. here, when you compare Ephesians and Colossians, there is there is there are direct parallels, but there are also subtle differences that then provide a light as to exactly what the apostles seem to communicate. So, I've actually put on the screen here um, uh, two workspaces um, right beside each other. Uh, there you go. Uh, that um gives you uh, Colossians, uh, over here, uh, Colossians over here Colossians over here in English and Greek, and then Ephesians over here in English and Greek as well, so that we can uh, see the the parallels that exist uh, between them. And so we had started looking at Colossians chapter one and remember what Ephesians chapter 1 is. Ephesians chapter one, the the eternal, Expression of the purpose of God in election and predestination. Um, that that God is specifically choosing a people in Christ Jesus. This is one of the things that came up in the uh, debate. Interestingly enough, not the Shamoon uh, Slick debate, but in the Wilson uh, debate that I mentioned yesterday, the Wilson Gerald's debate. And I need to I need to ask. Uh, Doug, what he meant, because it sounded like what he was saying is that Ephesians 1 is primarily directed at Jewish Christians, and I'm like, there weren't that many Jewish Christians in Ephesus, so, and given this is probably a circular letter meant to go to a number of other churches, I'm not sure what that was all about, but it's plainly talking about God's sovereign purposes, wrapping up all things In Christ Jesus. He's the one who works all things after the counsel of his will. And this is taking us back into eternity, as does Colossians 1. But Colossians 1 has a different flavor to it because it's talking about the preeminence of Christ. And certainly Christ is preeminent in Ephesians 1 because everything's in Christ. In 13 verses, 10 times you have. In him, in Christ, in the beloved one. So, both present the supremacy of Christ, but with different emphases. And given that, I think the epistle of Ephesians is what Paul's referring to in Colossians 4.16, when he says, read the epistle coming from Laodicea, I, I think that um, what Paul is doing is he's, he has gotten word of some of the problems in Colossae with this proto-Gnostic idea. Uh, the earlier, earliest forms of what would become the full-blown Gnostic heresy and so he's emphasizing certain aspects that will then be reinforced when this circular epistle circular in the sense of being sent around and being transmitted around various churches uh, arrives from Laodicea and so the preeminence aspect, he emphasizes the anti-Gnostic element of that in Colossians 1 But then Ephesians 1 comes along and it's also going to present the preeminence of Christ but in a more broadly soteriological sense in regards to salvation itself rather than in the cosmological sense. But what you do see by comparing Colossians and Ephesians and this is, by the way, one of the reasons that in a debate you just can't get into this type, type of background stuff So I recognize the limitations of debate. That's why I like focused debate theses. But I also recognize that that a debate can never take the place of having the opportunity of sitting down with the word like this and going into these things. And without the distraction of passion, give consideration to, I hadn't really thought about that before. That's interesting. So, for example, I mentioned last time. Uh, that there are shall I call them extra soteriological effects of the incarnation and the ministry and atonement and resurrection of Jesus. People tend to because the five points of Calvinism are primarily focused upon soteriological issues they issues relating to salvation that's what soteriology is they they Will hesitate to see any wider possible application. And so I remember years and years ago, a uh, conversation between um, uh, John Piper and fellow at Southern Seminary. <laughs> Sorry, will come to me eventually on this subject. And it was vitally important to see the the, the the positive benefits of the work of Christ that were not specifically, directly related to the salvation of the elect and the forgiveness of their sins. And that's what you get... In Colossians and Ephesians. The Ephesians presentation is going to emphasize the healing of the Jewish-Gentile divide. The breaking down of the barrier. That's the specific language that's used in Ephesians. The breaking down of the barrier that exists between Jew and Gentile. The Colossians, because of its Apologetic concern to protect the unique nature of Jesus, because the the protognostics are going, yeah, let's let's make room for this Jesus guy, so we'll make him one of the eons. We'll we'll make him, and of course that ends up resulting in questions about whether he's truly human and the incarnation and things like that. Uh, Paul punches that in the throat, <laughs> to use modern terminology. Uh, by saying uh, all the fullness, the pleroma, theateitas of deity, dwells in Jesus is dwelling katoikai, e present tense is dwelling in Jesus in bodily form somatikos. which it just is just a it's a punch in the throat to a Gnostic to use the language in that way. That, that's not possible. That, that their dualism wouldn't wouldn't go there. So. With that apologetic aspect in mind, both epistles are going to talk about broad issues regarding God and creation and what has taken place in Jesus. And our duty is to be good students of Scripture. And to see how these things relate to other texts of scripture, to other discussions of the atonement, especially in Hebrews, where you have this lengthy argumentation for Christ as the fulfillment of all that's come before him. So there's nothing to go back to. Justification in Romans, uh, we have to be balanced in all of these things. If we want to really know what Scripture is saying in a full and consistent fashion rather than just, here's my position, I'm going to defend it no matter what. So, we looked at Colossians 1, and we noted that there is a transition that takes place beginning in verse 18. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And so, you now have this special creation of God, the church. And Jesus bears a relationship to the church that is unique. He is not the head of mountains, a part of the physical creation. Um, He is to have first place in everything as prototokos, as creator. But, But there is a unique relationship that Jesus has to the church, which is his body. He is the head of the body. So, unless you think that all people are in the church, and universalists do believe that in various manifestations, um, then this is a unique relationship to a part of creation, not to all of creation. Jesus has first place in everything, that doesn't make him the head of everything. He is the head of the church, which is his body. That's a specific, defined element of creation. So we saw this transition, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And there is discussion of what pleroma means. Here, is it different than, for example, in Colossians 2? Um, should we see some nuance depending on where we are in Paul's discussion Uh, but we know it's the Father's good pleasure Uh, and that's the same term that's used in Ephesians chapter 1 in regards to the basis of our election is the good pleasure; it was God's, the Father's good pleasure, uh, for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Katoikei. This is going to be the same root as we're going to see in Colossians two nine. For all the fullness of deity dwells in Him, is dwelling in Him. Katoikei uh, in bodily form. So, looking at the language. So, with that, I wanted to point out the parallels that we have from Ephesians chapter two. So let's look across over here. Therefore, remember the formerly you Gentiles in the flesh. So it's interesting that that's, I am, I'm still wondering what Doug was saying and maybe he's saying there's been a switch from addressing Jews to now addressing Gentiles. But it just seems to me that the church at Ephesus would be primarily Gentile. But anyway, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, here's the division. Here is this massive wall that exists. And here is the description that, that is given of it. You were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. It might make a little more sense if you translate Christos here as Messiah, separate from the Messiah. Yeah, obviously you weren't part of the Messiah's people. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That's a pretty bleak description um, that scripture gives of the Gentiles. But now... In the Messiah Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near, and then notice, by the blood of Christ. Now, why do I point that out? Well, over here in Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So, as Paul's writing these two epistles, many of the same topics, concepts, are in his mind that he wants to communicate to these these two churches that are so closely bound one another and then notice this verse 14 for he himself is our what is our peace and the greek term right here is irene and here in colossians 120 you have a really interesting word my understanding is this is only found in christian sources uh, made peace. It's uh, uh, Irena Poiesas is taking peace, Irene, and slapping it onto the verbal form of Poiao, uh, Arist, and so making peace through the blood of his cross. And so, same concepts, but here in Ephesians, It's specifically focused upon, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And so, in writing to the church at Ephesus, you have the foundation being laid to understand the nature of the body. The church, which is what you have in verse 18. He has also had the body of the church. He has gained the firstborn for the dead, so he might himself come to first place and everything. So, how is that body formed? Well, he made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing Irene. So, Establishing Irene, notice the two words that are used in Greek. Poion Irene. That's what peacemaking is over in Colossians. So this would not be the first time that the apostle coins a phrase by maybe maybe Paul was the original German. Because <laughs> Germans, that's what Germans do. Germans make up words by just cramming littler words together. And sometimes they don't care if the resultant word is two paragraphs long. Um, they just That's just what Germans do. And that's what Paul's doing here. So, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might ding 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 reconcile Apocatalecte reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. I mean, the the it's it's really hard to avoid the idea that when we look at these putting together, even here. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, well, alienated was up above, where in, in, uh, in Ephesians, uh, you, were afar, you were far off, you were strangers, you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. So, are these the same concepts? Well, he's using all the same language, and he's connecting it all to the work of Christ. And so is the making of the church, Jew and Gentile, the primary focus of what's going on in Colossians as well? It's certainly a possibility in light of the parallel, or there could be a slightly different emphasis that the two are meant to fill each other out. But here's one of the key problems that I had with the debate um, last week is that the term reconcile was thrown out and the assumption was made that reconcile always means the same thing no matter what its contextual usage is and maybe because I read Moises Silva's book Biblical Words and Their Meaning so long ago and, that's, and I, I don't think that's the name of the book any longer I think it's still in print but I don't think it's the name of the book that, that book had such a huge impact on me because I realized that the way that we learn vocabulary and understand the meaning of words when we study New Testament Greek is not the best way to do it. I don't necessarily know of any way around it, especially in light of teaching it where you have limited amount of time. And I'm just thankful the seminaries are still teaching it at all, to be honest with you. Uh, many of them have just given up and gone to Greek tools and just don't even bother with it anymore. But when you learn a direct correspondence idea as to what the meaning is, rather than what's called a semantic domain, there are some words that have pff, very narrow semantic domain. They're very technical. Um, and then there are others like Logos that have a domain like this. They really do. Uh, can have so many different applications and, and meanings. Determining where the author is placing that word in the semantic domain of that word. It's so vitally important. Is it possible? Given, now, back, back up the truck a second. What does reconcile mean? It's, it's interesting that, for example, the form that is used here has a double prefix, a pa and kata. So it's, it's, it's a double-prefixed form, very rare outside the New Testament. Could it be that Paul himself intends us to be paying attention to the broad spectrum of what the word can mean and then making specific application in each different context? Because you not only have Colossians and Ephesians, though they make up a, l- a number of the uses, but everybody knows that you you have the Corinthian correspondence as well and you have in first Corinthians chapter two the second uh, um, Corinthians chapter two where you have the discussion of reconciliation we we beg you on behalf of God be reconciled to God that's addressed to Christians how is that different from what it's being said here you you We rarely are challenged to think this through and to be careful about it and to consider what is being said. Um, I think it's important that we do so, and we do so in light of the parallel passages that we have between Colossians 1, Colossians 2, and Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. So, um, notice it says, and might reconcile them both in one body. So, whatever this... Recon- this reconciliation here is reconcile them both the two of them in Heni Somati to theo one body, two god diatu staru, through the cross apactainos putting to death the entity in himself or in it if you want to attach it to staru So, something happens at the cross, according to Colossians 2.16, that creates the body. And it creates the body through a process that involves reconciliation and putting to death the enmity. The enmity that existed. Now, when we think of reconciliation, we normally think in human terms. We think of two offended brothers who are reconciled to one another. But what's interesting is when you turn it into a verb, it subtly changes the meaning of the word. So when it's a verb and one of the parties is performing the reconciliation. See, you can find uses of reconciliation in secular materials where mankind's being reconciled to God, but it's not God who's doing it. It's through the actions of man. But that's not going to fit in Christianity. This is you know, God, God does this in Christianity. And so, one of the fascinating uses of reconciliation outside the New Testament that I had, I had never seen in the seminary anyways, was a citation about Alexander the Great where he was called the reconciler of the world. Now, it's, it's funny because I had... I'm going to go a minute or two late. It's funny because I had, for some reason, spent a fair amount of time listening to a lengthy book on the life of Alexander. Which wasn't a long life. <laughs> so, um, died at 33. Uh, but Alexander conquered the world. He killed probably over a million people. In warfare, subjugation of cities, sometimes not a righteous subjugation of cities, um, enslaved millions. So how can you call him the reconciler of the world? Their reconciliation is, is taken in the sense of the unifier, the one who brought the world under one order. And it's true that there's something about reconciliation that lays the foundation for God's ability to judge and to demonstrate his wisdom in creation itself in light of the invasion of evil into his creation. So, until his great soteriological act, starting with the Incarnation, there is an unanswered charge against God. Your creation has rebelled, and is out of your. It's it's gone out of the parameters that you intended for it. And so, for a lengthy period of time, to the observation of the principalities and powers, um, mankind. I mean, you had the flood, right? You had the flood that didn't solve everything because people are still falling in Adam through Noah. And you had the Tower of Babel, which is often ignored, but it's an important story because mankind's getting together in a rebellious fashion toward God. And what does God do? He fractures them. He splits them up, sends them out so that they cannot Unify in rebellion. And so, it does make sense when you think about that, that use of Alexander, the, it's the reconciler. That there is a sense that part of the fundamental meaning of reconcile, catalazzo um, is to lay the foundation... For the demonstration of the justice of God in how he wraps up his creation unto his own glory. And that is found in the incarnation, the voluntary self-giving upon the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus. The... Salvation of a particular people in Christ is part of that. But there is a universal, cosmic impact that comes from the sun entering into creation itself that I think is in light. And so you've you've got the emphasis in Ephesians bring Jew and Gentile together is that the same reconciliation and bring putting to death by the enmity what what enmity is in view in Coloss- in uh, Ephesians 2:16 having by the cross put to death the enmity Ekthron. what what enmity is that is it jewish gentile is it the enmity that comes about because of um, the ordinances law and commandments up here in in verse 15 is that what's there it, and, and how does this relate because because let me let me close up with this because obviously we ain't done but you scroll down here in Ephesians 2 14. Having canceled out, what, what, 2.13, when you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them. What, how, who, Who are the rulers and authorities? How are they disarmed? It's in the cross. And it's in these, this, this chirographon, which came up in the, in the debate, by the way, there was a discussion of the chirographon, um, which is hostile to us. So, is, is, is that related to the law of commandments contained in ordinances uh, the the dogmason over here in uh, Ephesians 2. How do these things relate to one another and how does this then color the utilization of the term reconcile? And is there a use of the term reconciliation then that does not have a directly soteriological application? Because if you if you are seeking a way in which God can be justified for his crea- for His creation of all things and that that has something to do with what reconciliation means, that's different than a human being whose sins are forgiven and the enmity that exists between he and God is taken away because he's given a new heart and all these other things. Because hearts aren't given to planets and and plants and animals and all the rest of the created order. So we have to be very specific in looking at each text and what it itself is uh, focusing upon. And we will continue with that, but I've gone past where I was going to go today. I just like, I just like having biblical texts on the screen and I'm sitting here thinking, I was thinking about, about, you know, we're looking at the studio and, and um, I'm. I was. I was asking Rich. I need the videos for how to use this screen thing. This would look really good on the screen, and this would look really good to be able to circle it over here and draw the thing down to here and do this kind of thing. Um, so I'm. I'm excited about what that's gonna. What that's gonna allow us uh, to do. So who knows? In the future, we may. You, you may fire up the dividing line, and uh, and uh, all of a sudden something difference going to come on the screen i'm going to say welcome to the studio version of the dividing line and uh we will definitely be doing that partly because we just need to work out the bugs and the kinks and figure out how things are going to work and how things stream and how to switch from the, the the screen to the cameras and all this kind of stuff i see it but you know and so i would rather mess up in this context than like doing our first debate we're we're going to make sure we've done this and done it. Well, give everybody a chance to watch us mess up. That's right. We're going to give everybody (laughs) a chance to watch, watch us mess up. Uh, And that's perfectly fine. Um, Because once we do the first real serious debate, I want it to flow. Just I, I, and for me, I can't be, trying new things while also trying to take on someone who's a serious debate opponent. I, it needs to be second nature. So um, but yeah, we'll 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 be doing we'll be doing stuff like that. Stuff like that. Um, I'm sorta of thinking that Monday would be good if possible, the day before the election. Um, not saying we wouldn't do anything on Tuesday. You and I have already both voted, so that's not a big big deal um but i'm i'm sort of thinking that maybe some some more stuff will have been said before before tuesday that needs to be addressed uh so oh wednesday wednesday we we may have to fight our way through to the office uh, cuz it's yeah yeah it's yeah um there, there might be smoke on the horizon and everything else i don't know I'm certainly praying that's not the case, um, but people are pre- predicting all sorts of things. I pray for peace. I pray for clarity. Um, pray for Christ's church. I pray that we will be quick to tell people Jesus is on the throne, even if we don't know who the president is. And, um, and be, be quick with a word along those lines. So probably looking at, uh, at Monday... We'll see. We'll we'll let you know on social media if we're still on social media. (laughs) Uh, It's that that's another issue. But anyhow, thanks for watching the program today. Went a little bit long, but hopefully it's benefit to you. We'll see you next time. God bless.